Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, joined alongside, as always, with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Hooks Orpik, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Episode 32. And Garrett, I know you're a bit flustered on this, and it's kind of slim pickings, but who's your favorite number 32 in Pittsburgh Penguins history? Okay, so after looking at his stats, um, I feel a bit more comfortable taking... Number 32, defenseman Mark Streit, who was here for a cup of coffee in 2016-17, played 19 games for the Penguins after coming over in a trade from the Philadelphia Flyers. And he actually registered a goal and five points, goal and five assists, six points in the 19 games he played. And it probably didn't, it didn't hurt that he uh, probably got a Stanley Cup ring out of that short stint he had with the Penguins, I would imagine. If not... That would, that would have been a shame. That's my number 32, Jim. Like you said, slim pickings. So who's your number 32 in Penguins history? Well, I, I sent you the list of everyone who's won the number, and I guess his name might have faded in into the list because you didn't say, say much about it. And that's, that's fitting because that's kind of how this guy was. But he's the famous trivia question to who was the last person not named Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin to lead the Penguins in points in a season. And the answer is the great Dick Tarnstrom, defenseman from the bad years of the Pens in the early 2000s who led the Penguins in scoring. So that, that's kind of a, a trivia question, and I'll pick him as the best 32 of all time. Honorable mention, Peter Taglianetti. Well, Jim, if you can find a bright spot out of those early 2000 years of Penguins hockey, I, I, I certainly salute you. Um, but we have a couple of games to talk about here as we get into the recap segment of the podcast, and uh, I guess we'll start off with the game against the Boston Bruins on January 16th, a contest in which the Penguins went up to TD Garden in Boston and lost by a score of 4-1. to Jim, looking at this game in, in sole context of what it was, uh, I don't really think a four to one, a four to one beat down at the hands of the Bruins up in Boston. You know, historically, the last couple of years, the Penguins haven't been uh, world beaters in Beantown against the Bruins. Uh, so I really didn't expect much of this, much anything really to change going into this game. I expected them to lose. It wasn't a particularly strong game by the team. I think Jari, Tristan Jari, the goaltender, finished with an 896 save percentage. Really not an inspiring performance to talk about, but is there anything that caught your eye in, in the first matchup that we'll talk about against the Boston Bruins? Right. The first matchup against the Bruins, now the Pens fall to 0-7-1 in Boston. To your point there. So, yeah, it's been really tough sledding. I don't think they've won there since 2014. So it's been quite some time since they've had success there. And um, that game was the second game Sidney Crosby was back. The first game he comes back, the team explodes, seven goals. He has a bunch of points. Everybody's everybody's happy. And Crosby scored 24 seconds into this game. And after that, the Pens didn't score again. Yaroslav Halak was okay. But it, it kind of just felt like the team, I don't know if it was an emotional letdown after the big Crosby return or probably more likely that you have to credit the Bruins who are a good team that always seem to play the pens really tough. So I'm sure they deserve some credit there too, but yeah, that was that. And then I guess we can switch over to the very next night, a a road back to back, a two, one win in Detroit against the lowly Detroit Red Wings who give up a lot of goals, but Jimmy Howard and company did really well. What stood out to you about the game on last Friday night with the pens and Red Wings? 
I think I'm uh, getting Malkin registering two points uh, to assist to his name. Brian Rust getting another goal in the goal column, and Sidney Crosby registering another goal. Jim, to your point, like you said, you know the Red Wings are probably the worst team statistically in the NHL right now, and for the Penguins to muster two goals, only two goals. Uh, in an, what was an overtime victory. They, uh, I mean, right. the Red Wings took the Penguins to overtime, no less. Uh, it was something that I did not expect. However, two points is two points. You'll take them wherever you can get them. So really, um, I don't know if it's an uncharacteristic performance. I guess uh, I was just personally expecting a little bit more offense against the one of the NHL's worst teams. What about you? No doubt. And I think in this kind of week of games that we're recapping, and co- a common theme is like it's just kind of a uh the dog days of january for the pens this game was their third game in four nights their fourth game in six nights so they've been on the road a lot they're traveling a lot and it's just kind of been a grind and they look a little worn down i think you could say for the most part other than maybe the next game we're about to talk about but i just feel like you know this is a team that was kind of in hold on mode to get to this long break that they're going to enjoy and to kind of regroup and recharge from there And uh, as you alluded to, the next game that we're going to talk about is uh, another game against the Boston Bruins, this time the Penguins hosting the Bruins at home in a matinee game on uh, Sunday, January 19th, a game in which the Penguins won by a score of 4-3, to but it was not without some drama as uh, the Boston Bruins go up 3 to nothing in the first period, and by the end of the first period, uh, it was 3-1 to Bruins, and Jim, this this game has really... um, really been magnified in recent days for what has transpired a little bit of a storyline. Maybe, maybe this storyline means nothing in the grand scheme of things and we'll probably all forget about it. But there was a point in time early in the game where the penguins were down uh, and some Bronx cheers ringed out uh, through PPG paints arena towards the goaltender who was starting Matt Murray and uh, it became a little bit of an issue after the game. You know, the Penguins were celebrating getting the big 4-3 to three win against these Bruins, who, like you said, are very tough to play against. And Sidney Crosby came out. He mentioned it to the media after the game. Evgeny Malkin came out. He he mentioned it as well. I don't know if Matt Murray has come out publicly and, and commented on it, but uh, the, the Bronx cheer storyline was something that really um, hung over this, this, this otherwise... I don't know. I would. I don't know if I would call it a resounding victory, but after getting slaughtered up in Boston, it was nice to come home and get a four-three victory. Anything else that stands out to you in this game against the Bruins? Well, you touched on it a bit. Uh, the Bruins scored two goals in the first two minutes, two seconds, and then right after that happened, this the next face-off at center ice after the goal, the Penguins won it back clean all the way to Murray, and that was the first time you kind of heard it, and probably the loudest, and it seemed like it caught on a little that. Everyone, I, I mean, I can understand the fan frustration at that moment. You go all the way down into into the arena. You pay a lot of money for your tickets. You probably get some some lunch or something along the way. And the team came out flat. They started bad, and Matt Murray was kind of, kind of had to take the brunt of it. He was asked about it, and he said no comment, which is pretty much what he always says. But it was a it was a typical game, you know. Murray faced some adversity. He played really well, I think, which is also getting lost in the storm a little, that after those two goals were scored, the only goal he gave up, Jack Johnson smacked into the uh, his own net accidentally. So Murray made about 30 saves in a row after that or something like that. So in that context, I think it was good. And 
you know, fans aren't patient and you get emotional in that moment that you see a lot of goals going in. But this team especially, this is this has been their third game that they've had three goals worth of a comeback. So, you know, if, if any team probably deserves a little bit more sympathy or a little more understanding or just just a little more time to see if they'll wake up and shake it off you think it would be these pens because they've done it several times they've showed that they can fall down two nothing three nothing and it's really no big deal they'll get one they'll get and then they'll get on a roll and catch back up and that's what happened but yeah I don't know um if if you think this will be a big deal, I guess it depends on how Murray plays moving forward, especially at home. If he hears it more, I know, you know, the fan frustration with him is kind of at a high after he's been having a down season after a couple years ago being so good. So I don't know where it goes from here. Maybe it depends on how it goes, but how, how it goes in the future. But yeah, I, I'm afraid this could be a storyline kind of like a Toronto or Philadelphia or New York where you know the fans up there are very fickle and they turn against their teams and that could be what the Penguins fan base just is right now. I, I really don't want to try and make this bigger than what it is. I think the problem I have with this is that, you know, if you examine this season as a whole, what this team has done up until this point heading into the All-Star break, seeing that they've won 31 games in large part without Sidney Crosby and a whole host of other injuries and, you know, to your point, like you said, I don't think it, it should be thrown away that, you know, fans who go to these games and pay, and like you said, maybe they make a day out of it, spend a decent chunk of money to go to this game and have lunch and whatever, you know, fans are paying customers and uh, to, on, on one end of the spectrum, yeah, they have a right to, to cheer and do whatever they want as long as, you know, it's in, within the confines of, you know, the, the rules and you're not, you know, be, be, being a disturbance to those around you in, in the arena. But, you know, like take it, take a, a broader scope of what we've seen in this season and, you know, a two minute stretch or an early game stretch where the first two goals go in, in rather quick succession, you're going to hop on the goaltender, like that, a snap of the finger, and I just personally don't understand it. And I know I've probably died on the Matt, Matt Murray heel more often than not, especially on this podcast. So it might just sound like a, a, another Matt Murray homer to who, who those who have no issue with this. But I just think it was a little bit uncalled for, unwarranted, in my opinion, considering what the team has done to this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to disagree with that because, like, if anyone's earn some slack or deserves a, a bit of a chance to see what's going on. And yeah, I would think it's Murray and these pens, but at the same time, like I, I can understand the frustration, but I don't, I don't see how that's a good outlet to channel. You know, if you're a fan and you're upset, if you're jeering, basically your own team, uh, how do you think that's going to help or affect the game? It's only going to be negative if it's anything at all. Exactly. Which, so, I mean, it, it doesn't feel like a very productive use of energy or emotion, even though, you know, it's an emotional thing. So sometimes it happens, and I guess I get that too. And the last game we have to recap uh, before, we, um, before we move into our next segment is uh, a game against the interstate bitter rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers. Jim, there really isn't a lot to say about this game, partly because the Penguins registered precisely zero goals in what was a 3 to nothing shutout win for the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, I think the story of this game can basically be summed up as these Penguins are tired. And you alluded to it earlier when we were talking about the other games, how many games they played in X amount of nights. 
Um, they really just didn't have it at all in this game. It was t- it was tied at zero after the first period. You think, okay, well, you know, could be worse. But uh, the, the Flyers basically registering two goals in the second period to effectively put the, the nail in the coffin right then and there. And long story short, Jim, before I hand it off to you, I, I, just, I just think this team is tired. The all-star break and their league-mandated bye week probably couldn't have come at a better time considering the recent stretch of play that the team has been on. Most definitely. Uh, what kind of stands out to me the most, and you're right, there's not a lot to take out of this one. And over the course of an 82-game season, that happens. You're going to have a few that you just leave right there and move on. But I found it kind of interesting that Mike Sullivan was pretty upset with the team. Like, he wasn't taking fatigue as any kind of an excuse. And, you know, you never expect a coach to be happy or let a team off a hook after they're bad like that. But he was talking about that there wasn't a, a lack of, there was a lack of execution, a lack of attention to detail, no sense of urgency, stuff like that, which are talking points and all true. So I'm sure he's going to stew on it. And when they get back, remind them of that since the very next game coming out of this break, the Flyers will come to PPG Pates Arena to play the Pens on next Friday. So, hey, at least maybe they can get that bad taste out of their mouths and get, get back to work and hopefully get the win the next time and just we'll just move forward. That we will. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the team, like you said, as they come out of the All-Star break and their bye week. Um, this will be a little bit of a different episode of the podcast. We don't have many um, many stories or news bits, current news bits to talk about. What we do have is a fantastic interview with NHL Network's EJ Radica, who has previously appeared on the podcast. We thank him for all his previous appearances he's made on the podcast as well. Um but we're going to take a quick break here on the Pensburg Podcast. When we return, I will put you straight into the fantastic interview we have with NHL Network's EJ Raddick, so don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Joining us now on this episode of the Pensburg Podcast is NHL Network senior reporter EJ Raddick. Reminder, you can watch EJ Raddick live on site from St. Louis throughout NHL Network's all-star weekend coverage beginning this Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Visit NHLNetwork.com for your local channel listings. Uh, EJ, we're at the all-star break and looking at where the Penguins are and the rest of the Metropolitan Division is. Uh, Washington is number one, and the Penguins, despite a lot of injuries, are in second place. Columbus has been stronger than expected, and New Jersey may be a bit disappointing. Uh, What has been your biggest surprise, or maybe what stands out to you the most so far about team performance in the Metropolitan Division? Well, I think that uh, Columbus's run of late has probably been the thing that has stood out the most over the last, uh, I would say, six or eight weeks. They have really uh, kind of found their way. I mean, most people wrote off the Blue Jackets after having Bobrovsky uh, defect to Florida and uh, Duchesne go to Nashville and, uh, you know, different players leave their organization. Panarin uh, make the move to the Rangers. So uh, a lot of people thought that Columbus would really uh, fall back this year. And it started the season. It came out was going to be the case, but they've really turned it on of late. Even when Jonas Corposalo, who had been playing well, got hurt 
and was out of the lineup, uh, Elvis Malinkins has come in and been just outstanding for the Jackets after really struggling at the start of the year. So for me, I guess the, the Columbus Blue Jackets' uh, success and the run they've been on late to be the most surprising. And certainly uh, I would add that the Penguins, the way they have played and gotten through all these injuries, has been really outstanding as well. Uh, Mike Sullivan and that group has done a great job. And speaking of the Penguins on the injury front, uh, Sidney Crosby is now back. And unfortunately for Jake Kensel, he is probably out for the rest of the year. Uh, do you have any hunch or do you have any sort of thoughts on what you expect Jim Rutherford to do in terms of the trade deadline? And maybe in a broader scope, who are some names you think uh, who will be available come trade deadline time? Well, I mean, Jimmy is the guy that wants to win. He knows that the window for this team is now with uh, Crosby and Malkin still at, uh, you know, really very productive players into their early 30s now. So I'm sure he's going to do everything he can to help uh, to help his uh, his roster. Losing Gensel is a big blow. There's no question about that. He's a terrific goal scorer. He's been a proven playoff player. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, there was no, no two ways around it. It's been a real, a real loss. For the Penguins, what I think you know, Jimmy will try to do is, if there are, you know, if there's if there's a chance to add, uh, you know, someone that can come in and help him score some extra goals and be that secondary scoring, I'm sure that, you know, he'll look into that area. I mean, a guy that I've always felt would have been a good fit for the Pittsburgh Penguins is uh, J.G. Pajot of the Ottawa Senators. He had a great start to the season. The goal production has kind of slowed down, but you don't really expect that from a player like that. Right shot centerman has played well in big games, uh, can play in all three zones, and, uh, you know, is someone that could be a helpful player. So he's an unrestricted free agent. I don't know if the Senators are going to be able to sign him, if they're going to want to move him. But that's someone I've always felt would be a good addition for the Penguins. But, uh, you know, we'll sort out the uh, – we will sort out the teams that the uh, that are going to be the buyers and the sellers. There's probably fewer sellers with a lot of teams thinking that they have a chance to make it. So uh, – you know, I think once we see that process occur over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a better idea of who might be there. Um, you know, the biggest fish that was out there was Taylor Hall, and he was already moved to the Arizona Coyotes. So uh, one thing's for sure, Jim Rutherford doesn't get cheated at the trade deadline. He makes sure that he, uh, you know, he makes all the phone calls and uh, and tries to do whatever he can to help his roster, and I'm sure that'll be the case again this year, particularly with the team playing so well. And uh, shifting focus towards the NHL's All-Star Weekend, um, what uh, what is what is the All-Star Skills event that you're looking forward to the most this weekend? And in conjunction with that, who are some players you think will excel in the spotlight? Well, I mean, all these guys are great players, and I think they'll all, you know, do very very well in uh, you know in these in these skills competitions. The thing I'm looking forward to is the new thing, the Shooting Stars. Um, skills competition where the players will be up. I would imagine they're going to be in the second deck of the arena and they will be shooting pucks over the crowd. There's going to be a net over the crowd apparently. And uh, they're going to be shooting pucks at targets on the ice. It's something similar to what the Penguins did with Crosby and Malkin. I believe it was last year or the year before when they did it for, uh, for their local television or their Penn TV coverage where they uh they were in the crowd and shooting at uh smaller nets down at the ice i think that's something completely different and something that's fun it's the fact that the, the players will be up on a platform in the stands i think makes it even more interesting so i think that's the one i'm really looking forward to because we haven't seen anything like that before and i think it, i think the fans will enjoy it at the uh season's unofficial midway point uh who do you think are the strongest 
or maybe best positioned teams to make deep playoff runs? Well, I mean, I'll start with the defending champs, the St. Louis Blues. They've had a great first half of the season, despite missing of Vladimir Tarasenko, who went down with a shoulder injury, had to have short surgery. He is apparently back on the ice now, starting that his on-ice rehabilitation. It's going to be a while, but the, the good news is that, uh, you know, that process is continuing. Um, but the Blues have played very well. Jordan Bennington has picked up where he left off, so it's not uh, looks like he's a flash in the pan. He's someone that really is is going to be a uh, is going to be a good goaltender in this league for many years. Uh, they're really still strong on defense. Uh, they've got a little cap room now, LTI space with that injury to Tarasenko. Maybe they go out and get somebody at the deadline. Um, you know, let's say a Chris Kreider, someone like that from the Rangers, might be a really good fit with the Blues. They're already a big, strong team. Add a little speed and, and, and extra size to their group if they were to make a deal of that nature. So I think they're positioned really well. Uh, I've, the Washington Capitals have had a really good start to the season. They seem, uh, you know, again, big, strong team, two good goaltenders. Uh, the the uh, circumstance with Braden Holpe's contract is going to play out over the rest of the year. It looks like he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and he'll likely be moving somewhere else. But for now, he'd, he'd like to play well and continue to, to up his value. And uh, young Sergei Samsonov has, has played really well when called upon. He was a former first-round draft pick and somebody that caps the is probably the heir apparent to Holpe. So I think, you know, those two teams right off the top, our position well, uh, you know, the Boston Bruins had a really good start. The thing is they've kind of cooled off of late. The Tampa Bay Lightning have been really kind of scorching over the last six or eight weeks and moved right back into the mix in the Atlantic Division race for that top spot. So, you know, those are some of the teams that come to mind right away for sure that are, I think are positioned to have uh, success in the postseason. Uh, you brought up a few goaltender names there at, at the end of the point you were making, and it, it sparked me to start thinking about uh, the – I don't think it's I don't think it's a goaltender controversy here in Pittsburgh, but I think a lot of the fans here in Pittsburgh um, maybe aren't in, still entirely sold on Matt Murray's play and certainly his play of late, certainly slumping earlier in the season. And it seems like he's uh, picked up his play heading into the All Star Weekend and the Penguins bye week, whereas Tristan Jari has seemingly been shot out of a cannon to start the season, and he's <laughs> yeah. sort of sort of slumped a little bit heading into this bye week, uh, taking the loss last night, I believe, in um, against the Flyers. Uh, but looking at this goaltender tandem between Matt Murray and Tristan Jari, uh, number one, do, do you think Tristan Jari is the real deal? Do you, for, do you foresee a point in time where Tristan Jari, you know, this isn't just a flash in the pan, uh, a sort of prolonged hot streak. Do you think Tristan Jari uh, can maintain this level of play for for hopefully an extended NHL career. And on the flip side for Matt Murray, if, you know, if Jari continues to play at this incredibly high pace, is there a possibility that, you know, Matt Murray could find uh, regular playing time somewhere else? Well, I mean, if you go back a couple of years, right, before Matt Murray emerged on the scene, I mean, Tristan Jari was someone in their organization that the Penguins were very high on. So, uh, you know, Matt Murray came along, filled that void uh, when Marc-Andre Fleury went down with injury and kind of, you know, just took off and became their goaltender and helped the Penguins win two Stanley Cups. So you can't really undersell the value of that kind of experience and that performance under pressure. Uh, but that said, Jari is someone they've always liked. He's got an opportunity this year now. He's maturing in his game and has played very, very well. Um, 
this is a sports or it's a winning business and it's a little bit of a what have you done for me lately business as well and you know mike sullivan is, is looking to win games there and jerry got an opportunity this year and uh, when he played well he got more opportunity and when matt murray struggled uh, jerry got even a little bit more opportunity so right now i think they're comfortable with either guy They've had a great history with Murray. They've got to feel comfortable that if if they need uh, him to be their guy in big spot in the postseason, that he could do it. And I think they're coming to realize that they're pretty comfortable with Tristan Jari too. So it, it seems like a lot of the teams in this league uh, are going more to a kind of 1A and 1B circumstance with their goaltenders. Uh, you see it in Boston with Tuka Rask and uh, Euro Halak and Dallas with Ben Bishop and uh, Anton Hudobin. And those teams have been pretty successful this year kind of rotating those guys and giving the, the, the starter, Rask and or Bishop, more rest and try to limit their number of games in the regular season. So I, I think it's a good situation for the Penguins to be in, and um, it'll be a decision that, uh, you know, Mike Smith – or excuse me, Mike Sullivan will make on a night-to-night basis. But uh, Jari has been playing well, and he's certainly earned his opportunity. And you know what? Down the road, as you mentioned, if, if Jari continues to play this well, uh, we have an expansion circumstance coming up. Uh, you know, you have to protect. You're only allowed to protect one guy. In Pittsburgh, they're very familiar with that. They've gone through that before with Marc-Andre Fleury. So I think for the fans there, you know, the good news uh, or, or the news really is they've seen this movie play out before, and it's hard to know how it's going to end up. But, uh, you know, as they say, they're trying to win games, and whoever they, whoever Mike Sullivan feels is going to give them the best chance is going to get that opportunity to play. Once again, you can watch EJ Raddick live on site from St. Louis throughout NHL Network's All-Star Weekend coverage beginning this Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Reminder, visit NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. EJ, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come join us on the Pensburg podcast. Really appreciate you coming on and giving some of your insight, like I said, at the season's midway point in the season. And uh, thank you again. Hopefully we can meet up again and chat sometime soon. All right, anytime. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Again, that was NHL Network's EJ Reddick. Again, our thanks go out to EJ for lending his time and insight expertise into what looks to be a very fun and exciting NHL All-Star weekend. Switching gears now, Jim, we're heading into our mailbag segment for those interested, for those listening and those interested first-time listeners, long-time listeners who have never participated in the mailbag before. You can do so by following our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pennsburg Pod. Uh, every Tuesday, I'll send out a tweet asking for your participation and your questions for our mailbag segment. No question is off limits. We love getting any and all type of interaction from all of our listeners. Jim, like always, you get first crack at this week's mailbag. And um, I think we had this, we had, we had this, um, we had this person last week and uh, I'm still not sure how to pronounce their, their Twitter username. So I'm just going to say sugar, sugar, there's or something, Uh, sugar. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go with that. We have seen Chris Letang play with Brian Dumoulin, John Marino, and Jack Johnson. In recent games, head coach Mike Sullivan has mixed up the first and third pairings, but he seems reluctant to try and play Latang with Marcus Pedersen. Why do you think this is? That's a good observation, and you're right about that, um, because even in the last game against the Flyers, they were playing Ricola with Latang and Jack Johnson with Chad Ruedel a little, but they left it alone. Um, 
I don't think it's because they want to pair Pedersen with John Marino because it took them a long time to kind of get to that pairing. They seem to avoid that for a while, too. But they've also avoided Pedersen with Latang. My sense would be they don't want Pedersen to play with Latang because of the competition level. Latang plays with usually the Crosby line or the first line against the other team's first line. And I don't know why, really, they're shielding Marcus Patterson from that competition, but they clearly have been. So I don't know if the coaching staff just wants him to play either in a second or third pair role for right now and just let him keep growing because it seems like Patterson's been around for a while, but his total NHL games played aren't isn't really that high, and it's almost all of it has come as a Penguin in the past season or season and a half that he's been here, I guess, really just the past 13 months. So I would keep that in mind that he's still pretty young and inexperienced and has some ways to grow. And hopefully, I guess, that the Pedersen and Marino pair, that, that should be a really good second pair for years to come, you would think. So hopefully that's where they end up anyways. All right, our next question comes to us from John WTIII, or... I guess one, 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 <laughs> one or the other. And John writes 71 and 87 played a shift or two together last night. I'm curious to see what those offensive and defensive numbers look like. Well, to your question, uh, thanks to, thanks to Jim for helping me hook, hook, hook me up with these, these additional stats of this particular line. The Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin, Brian Rust line played 5.52, 5 minutes, 52 seconds worth of ice time in the game against the Philadelphia Flyers, registering a Corsi together of 67% and an expected goals percentage of 94%. Basically, what I'm saying is they created a ton of scoring chances for themselves, basically not allowing their opponents to really register anything against them. Um, to those who follow advanced metrics, um, even to those who don't follow advanced metrics, this line basically dominated and whenever they were on the ice, which is always a good thing. Um, but it's interesting because um, historically Crosby, I don't recall, especially in Mike Sullivan's tenure, Jim, that he's often put Crosby and Malkin together. I remember it was something that Dan Bilesma used to do quite a bit to uh, varying degrees of success, if I recall. But I always wondered why, if the team wasn't a whole like they were against the Flyers, that they wouldn't put the two best players uh, on the line together to see what kind of offense they could create. And it just seems like it was a case of, of, of bad luck for this trio, who really, in the short sample size, six minutes of ice time isn't really a whole lot to go on, but in the short sample size, really seeming like it worked well together. I don't know if it's going to be a, a thing moving forward, but it was encouraging nonetheless, wouldn't you say? Definitely. And just thinking about it further is that the Flyers were kind of sitting back last night, as we saw in the second and third period, especially once they got up a couple of goals. And I think they kind of sensed, too, that the Pens didn't have their best shot and their their top energy. So they seem content to just try to choke the middle of the ice and take it away and keep the Pens to the outside but allow shots. So I'm not sure if that's why the the stats look good for them, if, if there's some score effects involved there. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, for whatever reason, Sullivan really hasn't used Crosby and Malkin together at even strength a lot, just here and there every once in a while, ever so rarely. So that, that was a reason why it was so interesting that early in that game he put them together and basically left them together, which he doesn't usually do. And I think that was a sign that Sullivan knew as well, like, uh-oh, if I, if I, I need a goal and I, it's going to have to come from these guys because the rest of the roster just doesn't seem to have it right now. 
Sammy Bagel Jr. is back for you, Jim, a longtime question asker. With Justin Schultz, uh, with Schultzy back, he isn't back just yet, so we'll see if he does come back after the All-Star break. But with Justin Schultz presumably coming back, what do you think the defensive lines will be looking like? So I guess no without Dumoulin then, too, or...? Uh um, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll go for for the sake of this the question. Future. <laughs> yes, yes, because presumably Justin Schultz is. Pro- I would say, judging by what he's been doing at practice, I think he's probably closer. But I'm no doctor. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, Dumoulin as of now isn't even back that far. So, but yeah, Schultz could. Schultz very well could and should be back for the the next game they play. And I I would think the conventional wisdom is just slot him in exactly where Chad Ruedel is right now on the third pair with Yuso Ricola. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, I like what I've seen from Pedersen and um, John Reno. And then the first pair, Jack Johnson, Chris Letang, not really a fit or a match, but Justin Schultz doesn't factor into that because we kind of saw Chris Letang playing with a right-handed partner with John Reno didn't pay off. So I think you got to just grit your teeth there and deal with Jack Johnson and Chris Letang, who, I mean, they'll, they'll get through things, I guess, sometimes or sometimes not. But if they do or don't, that's up to them. So I would just put Schultz in for Chad Ruedel on the third pair, see how that goes, and hopefully Dumoulin's back soon anyways. And then from there, then it gets interesting. Do you put Schultz with Jack Johnson, which traditionally hasn't done well, but when they've been together, it's been in a first-pair role against a lot of hard competition, so maybe it'd be easier if they're like a second or third pair. Or do you put Schultz back with Marcus Pedersen, who they tried earlier in this year, and that didn't really work so well either. So what do you think, I guess, to steal this question and and mold it into our own, what do you think, Garrett, about the long-term future of Schultz as far as who his partner might end up being. I really like what you said there, and you alluded to it earlier too, the the, the pairing of Marcus Pedersen, John Marino. Uh, if I was Mike Sullivan, I probably wouldn't mess with that. I think, uh, I remember reading something, Marcus Pedersen really hasn't had a, uh, a stable partner in his tenure in Pittsburgh, um, and I think he's found that in John Marino. Um. Pairing Schultz with Yuso Rikula on the third pair, I think, is the best option for the foreseeable future, maybe even long term, because Dumoulin and when Dumoulin does get healthy, Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin, you know, that's been the number one go-to pairing for the last couple of years. You're not going to mess with that. Assuming that Pedersen and Marino and Marino continue to develop this bond that they have with one another, I wouldn't personally mess with that. Having Rikula bounce off of Schultz would be something that I'd be really open to experimenting with. And obviously that leaves the odd man out being Jack Johnson. Uh, if they do go on to scratch healthy scratch, Jack Johnson, which I'm still quite apprehensive. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not buying that they will. I think he would still probably find his way into the lineup somehow. Uh, maybe going back to, like you said, the Johnson-Schultz uh, pairing that really hasn't had that much success, that could also be another possibility, too. All right, yeah, we'll have to see. And another defense question comes to us from Bra Moment, who says, with the emergence of Marino, Addison being ready the year after next at the latest, and several cheap young Bilo right-handed defenseman available. Is there any way to make sense of Schultz resigning here and the cap hit he'll get? Mining, this has been a really horrible year for him. Yeah, this the last couple of years really haven't really gone Justin Schultz's way, playing only 29 games last season, being limited to 27 games uh, currently this season with eight points in those 27 games played. 
Um, I think we've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast. I don't personally see a scenario in which Justin Schultz can come back, presumably what he's going to demand on the open market as an unrestricted free agent, probably looking for one big last payday in his career um, heading into his 30th birthday. There's probably going going to be a team out there that looks at his resume over the last four to five years in Pittsburgh and thinks, we think Justin Schultz can contribute top two, if not top four. You know, someone's going to probably overpay Justin Schultz based on past performance. Um, so no, I I think what what you mentioned there in your question with Kalen Addison, uh, hopefully developing into a young good defensive prospect for the Penguins. Marino all of a sudden coming into coming into his own. Chris Letang doesn't look like he's going anywhere either. I don't really see. Um, a realistic scenario where Schultz resigns at the cap that he'd likely get. Uh, Jim Sydney cup is back for a question for you. Is there a more perfect Gensel replacement than Anaheim ducks forward Ricard Raquel? That's a good question because there probably isn't. And we all know that Anaheim and the Penguins have made about a million trades with each other. So there's a good relationship. We all know there between Bob Murray and the Anaheim contingent and Jim Rutherford and the Penguins. But I think part of the problem is that he's too good of a replacement. 26 years old. He's a guy who scored 30 goals twice in his career. Very capable of scoring 50, 60, 70 points. But being just 26 years old, and I think his contract runs for a few more years. So I don't really see what motivation Anaheim has to sell on him, but... Anaheim's made some crazy moves before, so maybe you could bank on them doing something unconventional again. But I don't know if there's a fit. Like, I mean, there's definitely a fit if if you could get him to Pittsburgh. But I think the problem is a guy who still has th- two more years on his contract after this at a 3.79 million cap hit, which is a bargain for what he produces. Those those guys that young with that good of a contract aren't usually getting traded unless it's for something similar or equal, and that obviously doesn't make sense for the Pens to trade out. So I think it's good, but maybe too good, but hopefully. You can always hope. And our last question comes to us from our regular listener and writer, Cole Del Vecchio, who says, how will you be spending the breakaway from Pens hockey? Um, with my feet up at the beach. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I'll be, I'll, I'll be watching the NHL all-star weekend. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the, uh, the skills competition and, and the new thing that they'll be doing this year with the, the shooting, the pucks from the stands. And I mean, it has a, it has a recipe for disaster kind of thing to it, which is part of the court, part of the course for the NHL and how they do business, uh, turning things into disasters that they think is a good idea. Anyway, I digress. I'll be watching the All-Star Weekend, you know, not having heart palpitations, uh, not living and dying with every puck that the Penguins shoot. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a nice break. I'm sure it'll be a nice break for the Penguins. It couldn't, Like I said, it couldn't come at a better time for all of the healthy bodies trying to get back. But, uh, yeah, it'll be pretty low-key watching some of the All-Star Weekend. And, um, yeah, I think that's what I'll be doing. Jim, what about you? Yeah, it's definitely a lot more exciting for the actual uh, players, I think, who will all be going somewhere very warm and get to relax. Um, For me, though, I I like this question a lot, and one of my favorite TV shows, or perhaps my favorite TV show that's active right now, is coming back in about a month, and it is Better Call Saul. And so I might go back and try to rewatch 
if not the whole thing, at least the last season, because it's been quite a while since they had new episodes. So I might do a little binge watching of Better Call Saul and get caught up and ready for the new season that's coming out next month. You really couldn't, um, you know, you, you couldn't script anything better. I, you know, Jim, that's that's put your feet up and watch Better Call Saul. I, th- I think it's on Netflix. I'm not a huge Breaking Bad fan. I've never watched Breaking Bad or or Better Call Saul. I mean, I hear it gets good reviews. I hear, you know, I think this is the what the final season. This is the final season of Better Call Saul. I think that's what I read on Twitter. Right. Uh, hopefully, they're making one more. I think they're making one more after this. But yeah, it is getting towards the end now. I probably should go and. and there are so many uh, TV shows on Netflix that uh, everyone recommends to me. Um, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. What's the one? Um, what's the one show with John Hamm that basically propelled John Hamm? Uh, Mad Men. Yeah, Mad Men. That was yeah. the other one. Yeah, I haven't uh, watched that one, but yeah, everyone says that one's good too. I think I think that's for like an older crowd, really. Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, better or Breaking Bad. It's, it's it was really good. I, I don't know. Some people, it seems like you either love it or you could, you know, it just does nothing for you. And for me, I got wrapped up in Bob Odenkirk, who plays Saul and Better Call Saul. He's he's the man. He's awesome. I I really enjoy him. He's entertaining to me. So that'll be a nice little break. Uh, Jim, anything else you want to add to the audience before we wrap up this episode of the Pensburg Podcast? After hearing our TV viewing habits, I think that's about it. I guess it's time for us to get on out of here. All right. Uh, for those interested, you can follow along all season long. Keep up to date with when new episodes of the Pensburg Podcast get released. We are on every major podcasting platform of, of choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, follow along. Um, get notified when these new episodes come out by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account as well, at Pensburg Pod. Follow our main account, at Pensburg on Twitter, Pensburg on Facebook. Uh, but for Jim Rexner, Hooks Orpic, I have been Garrett Hannah, thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.